Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter and YouTube and everywhere you need a, an at, really. I just keep using the same thing. Uh, welcome back. This week I don't have a guest because, once again, I suck in yet a new way. Um, I was sick all last week and I couldn't uh, interview anyone and the preceding weeks, but this week we're stuck with just me again. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. Okay, uh, in all seriousness though, uh, this is a Dynasty Crossroads, so let's talk about how I play Dynasty and how I play Dynasty right now, because it's a very particular part of the season. You're in or you're out of the playoffs, or you are not making decisions quickly enough, frankly. Um, and so I want to talk to you about a little bit of research I recently put up on YouTube. Um, I guess I should do it, yeah. I recently hit a uh, thousand subscribers on YouTube. I know, like everyone and their mothers, but it's a big deal to me because it's one of the few ways I might be able to be like kind of a self-supporting creator. And it was a big milestone. It's been a while since I hit a, a milestone I deliberately set out to do. And I wanted to thank all of you who might have gone over and subscribed to me. And also just mention that because that's cool. Now, um, on YouTube, I'm definitely I'm, I'm taking more of an approach. It's also where the Dynasty Grind with Zach Reed and uh, Dynasty Outhouse goes every Wednesday at 9. So if you want to watch it afterwards or you want to join us live and ask us questions or mock us live, I guess. Um, that's where you can find it as well. Um, where was I? But no, uh, on YouTube, I'm taking the approach of uh, talking about things that are true no matter how you choose to play Dynasty. So it doesn't really matter how you choose to play Dynasty, whether you want to go for any of the strategies or methodologies or all of them that we've talked here with different people on the crossroads. Um, it's the, the hit rate of the first round of the NFL draft is still the same. How accurate we are at ranking wide receivers versus running backs in rookie ADP, which was a video or two ago on YouTube. That's still the same whether you want to draft running backs or wide receivers or you want to draft old players or you want to play the player like uh, a lot of people we have on the crossroads are trying to do, whether you just want to make trades. That's true no matter how you want to play. And so that's the kind of thing I'm trying to come up for, come up with uh, on YouTube. But the crossroads, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to maintain, despite not having a guest, because um, of my own silly fault. Um, the subject here is how do you play Dynasty? What can we learn from it? What can we take away from it? What can we disagree with? utterly and argue about endlessly obviously um and we've talked about how i play dynasty a lot but maybe you're new and in which case thank you really really appreciate you checking us out um and maybe you just need a refresher um the way i play dynasty evolves i think that's the whole goal uh, to be honest we try to get better and better but ultimately if i've been thinking about how to summarize the way i play dynasty a lot and it's um I want players you already like that are in the NFL and rookies you don't. I think that's one way of playing it. I'm going to take my risks on upside on younger players, especially in the rookie draft. I think trying to outrank people in Dynasty is kind of, 
is what we're all trying to do. We're trying to get more right about what's going to happen. But that's where everyone we talk to is constantly trying to find a different way of playing the player, playing the dynasty manager opposite them, whether it's through making good trades or whether it's through um, not undervaluing previously productive players or looking for values in ADP like uh, Jason Stein was a number of weeks ago and comparing them to keep trade cut values. We're all looking to beat someone somewhere, and it usually comes down to where we're trying to exploit something we think we can do better than most, um, or at least we're going to try. And I choose to take that risk mostly with rookies. This year, Like I, I think I got this draft class remarkably right in the way I approached it. I think my, pro, my pro, rookie process is going well. But in terms of getting Dynasty upside out of this rookie class, not great, to be honest with you. Um, so how did I approach this rookie class? I wanted to be hands-off. I knew there were good players here. Again, the process is what... They're definitely good players out of the 2022 draft class. Garrett Wilson, um, Chris Olave, and Drake London had already established themselves as players we probably should want to roster really highly in Dynasty by, like, the third week. And Garrett Wilson uh, is already up there by week five, week six, and I was writing up weekly. That's why I have a good memory of it. And over the last three weeks, Christian Watson, Traylon Burks, and even that one game from Wondell Robinson suggests there's more upside. And they've just got a steady, odd but positive rookie season with plenty of one-hand catches from George Pickens. The players that I really liked that I thought might be undervalued or I might be able to snag at a high rate based on what their cost was and how willing I was to trade for those rookie picks were David Bell and Jalen Tolbert. Now, my rookie ranks are going to look fairly accurate, which, again, is part of the process. My rookie evaluation, I think, is going strong. But where I thought I could exploit this draft, maybe, was one, knowing to be hands-off, I'd rather trade my value in this draft than not because of the way the class shaped up. It was harder to know which exactly were the players that you wanted to roster. And also another feature coming out of this draft class is the players that are doing well are the ones most players liked. There wasn't a Laquan Trebwell or a, a, a Terrence Marshall that I knew to stay away from. There wasn't a Jamar Chase that everyone was 100% consensus on being the wide receiver one. But there also wasn't a great, T.Y. Hilton wasn't a great Stefan Diggs. It wasn't a great second, late first round wide receiver um, to snag. Damian Pierce is probably going to, just from memory rate, is one of the better values. And most a large part of that seems to have been the injuries that played out before the season. And his value is not going to be nearly as good as, or as high as James Robinson was after his first season. And he was an undrafted free agent coming in. Damian Pierce doesn't even have that little draft capital. He's a fourth-round player, if I remember. So the values from this class are kind of muted. You more had the draft picks or you didn't, and pretty much you had a high proportion of hits from running back to wide receiver. I also thought Jalen Talbot being a deeper early third-round pick was a good move. Not so much. We had a value spike on Cleo Shakir in Buffalo for a second, but not enough really to make any trades happen. Um, I don't think there's been a lot of players everyone should have known about in rookie drafts this season, which meshes with my feeling that I I didn't feel strongly that I was going to find that second round golden egg um, this year. Uh, I like Trellon Burks as a wide receiver one, and it's taken till now week 14 before I even feel pretty confident that, yeah, I should at least had him top three. I'm good. 
Instead, it was Chris Olave and Drake London, who I, I had ranked as a wide receiver too. But let's face facts, I was highly skeptical on. I thought his path to success in the NFL was narrow based on what I had heard and read and found about the way he played in Dynasty. Even the people that really liked him speculated that he needed to change the way he played or the, literally the role he played to Ella. And that just sounded odd to me. Followed up with some notes from people that I trust who watched him and weren't all about um, uh, London's game exactly. And I had a hard time separating out Alave and Wilson because of the whole leaving the team and remaining on the team situation that we had in there where they all looked good and I knew not to discount Alave just because he changed teams. And I knew, um, I, I think I played it right, but I had no idea. And turns out the answer was, yeah, they're all pretty good. Draft, draft them where they are. And so this rookie class, well, good, and it's going to have great players on it. Alec Pierce has had a more positive rookie season than David Bell, but even if I'd snagged him over David Bell shares, I don't think I'd be ecstatic about the value I found in this draft. And so the hands, the process got me to the right place, but the way I played Dynasty, I wanted to find a lot of good players in this draft without that not everyone snags. The other half of that is players that you like. I want to remember players that are good, and roster them at a high rate. I know that sounds silly, but I find a l keeping that in mind helps a lot. For right now, for it's looking for values within a tier. Based on p what I think the player across from me is going to do when they wax and wane on value because it's not new, or they're injured recently, or they're just not quite as shiny as some of the other players in that tier. That's the other way I'll try and look for value. Um, and also, yeah, again, team old guy and older players like Deontay Johnson that are disappointing. Or players that I think were young and proved themselves, but disappointed, especially in a way that was is kind of explainable without having to assume that the player suddenly forgot how to play football. So Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman, who I talked about a lot this offseason, as someone who was likely to disappoint in my opinion, based on his situation and where people were ranking him and what their expectations were for this year. So I'm higher on both Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman, and I was higher on both of them because I had, I think I had reasonable expectations coming in um, and reasonable descriptions of how well they performed in their rookie year. And so when the value drops on them, for understandable reasons... I went and traded for them where I could, and I'm more likely to roster those players at a higher rate because I have simpler criteria. We like them. No one's going to tell you they don't like them, but they became muted or somewhat less shiny um, through, I think, reasons that don't make players more or less shiny to me, if that makes sense. So those are the two aspects of the way I play Dynasty. I want proven players that we all like, but I'm going to look for ways that take the bloom off the rose for some dynasty players, or even everyone, to be fair. It's not like Elijah Moore wasn't scaring even me this year with his inability to do anything with Zach Wilson. And I'm going to try and take my shots in an attempt to outrank people about where things come from. One, in where the community's obviously got itself tied up in knots about Rashad Bateman's going to command targets that don't exist in that offense. You can't command... Targets, you can command a target share. Maybe that's the way we should be describing it. Anyway, um, but you can't command targets. Literally sucking up the like 90% of the volume that was not going to Mark 
Andrews was going to Rashad Bateman when he was healthy, and people still weren't happy because they had unreasonable expectations. But the other way is to try and honestly outrank people in the rookies. If I'm going to make that kind of a bold statement, which we should try and stay away from, because, again, we definitely don't know the future. You can get everything right and it still goes wrong. But it's with rookies because I still find some edge to working hard to understand what a rookie has done in college, how well that compares to players from the past that have gone on to do well, and then liking those players, considering them proven, at least in college, before they get to the NFL. Making less negative stances on where players have actually played, unless there's a consistent history of it, such as with Sky Moore this year. So in 2022, that's where I stand. I couldn't get much out of the rookie draft. I didn't know too much more than literally anyone else walking in with ADP or just a draft sheet. Um, so that was a worthy offseason um, <laughs> of work. Um, and, well, I think I got right about the NFL. There were very few values I could wait for or trade for that we have A.J. Brown or C.D. Lamb level upside waiting for. How quickly is it reasonable to make up our minds? Was it a good idea to give up on Traylon Burks? As I did in a few leagues where I was really competitive, I traded Traylon Burks before he lost much value for other players that I liked a lot, that we all like a lot, because again, that's the second that's the second half of my dynasty teams, in order to try and score more points, because I feared he would continue to lose value, and on a competitive team, I'm less willing to make that gamble. On a rebuilding team, I'm entirely unwilling to take that risk of the downside of just a wasted wide receiver one, and I know our history of being relatively poor at predicting who the wide receiver one from a draft class is, so while I now have a lot of hope. Earlier in the season, I was concerned. I either traded away for points, and on complete rebuild teams, I traded them away for value wherever I could find it, into a more proven player and draft picks, or just outright draft picks. Was that reasonable? On a week-by-week -week basis, how quickly can we make those kind of decisions? So let's go over some stuff we've talked about, and this is the subject of my most recent, one of my most recent YouTube videos, which is on a week by week or a game by game basis, how much of the players, how many of the players we're hunting at wide receiver position are actually clearly showing up. So remember that about 70, uh, on average, 70% of all breakouts have broken out at least at a top 36 level before they break out into a higher level. So players who finish inside the top 24 for the first time 70% of the time, on average, finished inside the top 36 in a previous year, unless they're rookies, obviously. Players that break out into the top 12, it's about the same number. 70% of them have at least finished inside the top 36 before. Interestingly enough, it's not the same percentage when you're looking at top 24 breakouts. And this is something I've tried to explain before, and the numbers seem I don't seem to be able to explain it in a way that's not confusing. But essentially, it's not a ladder. You don't become top 36, then you become top 24, then you become top 12, then you become top 5 the year after that. Players don't climb up in production. They tend to break out at their highest expectation. Now, that's also led me to underestimate some players' ability. Like last year, Amon Ross St. Brown broke into the top 24. He was slightly lower drafted. I loved him. But because I'm used to assuming that players break out at their expected level of production, on average, in general, as a trend, that's kind of where I capped him in my head. And I think I said it numerous times on this podcast on the, and on the Dynasty Grind. And this year, he just straight up kicked one of his biggest fans 
Like, I, I love guys not drafting the first three rounds. I'm on Ross St. Brown. What are you doing to me getting no less than 10 targets every week? But again, that's just a flaw in... It's a flaw in a process I've opened up by trying to follow what happens most of the time. Willingly, because I'd rather make mistakes based on what normally happens than make mistakes on what normally doesn't. Because I'm just an idiot. I don't play football. I have never watched football ever in my life, honestly. Uh, that's not true. But still... So it makes sense for me to just know what normally happens, especially when we find an edge there so much of the time. People expecting the extraordinary are more often than not thwarted in that expectation. Like the unexpected doesn't happen most of the time. And yet most people, I find a consistent trend, are trying to expect the unexpected. And if you just always take the under, like the pessimistic wet blanket I am, you find value, you find points. And you edge up in the ranks. You, your team gets better that way. Just by being a little bit of a wet blanket. So it is a flaw, but it's a known flaw. Like I can just adjust to, okay, Armamara St. Brand has much higher upside than I expected. That's actually awesome. Where was I? Oh, that's it. Um, so we know that players tend to break out, but there are exceptions. Especially if they do it relatively early in their career. That's a reasonable thing to say, I think. What's next? By the end of your first rookie year, not your, the end of a player's first rookie year, only 60% of players who are going to go on to be those players that we want in fantasy, however, finish inside the top 36. That's the smallest percentage of any career year. So 80% of the players who are going to go on to be those players that you want, if they're not already, or if they are already, have finished at least inside the top 36 by year two and year three and year so on and so forth. We pretty much know who they are. So there's a small gap between the first and the second year in terms of players that have broken that slightly arbitrary line of finishing inside the top 36 players in overall scoring in PPR. So can we get quicker than that? Because honestly, we need to. Like straight up, 94% of players who've lost value from their rookie season to their sophomore off season, so between August and August, have gone on to fail at being one of those players that we wanted. They don't produce multiple top 24 seasons at a minimum. Very few uh, Tyler Boyds in that last 6%, who's the one player I always remember dropped 10 rounds between the August of his rookie year and August of his sophomore year for no discernible reason I can figure out. He had over 600 yards, over 70% target share, and put up great a great number of fantasy points for a rookie, and we just decided we didn't want that next year. I don't know why. So if we're just making decisions based on their final year, honestly, despite the fact I'm paying attention to that breakout threshold, and I think it's useful, you pretty much know it when you see it. You don't have to get too nerdy about it. Most people are knowing it when they see it. They adjust next year, and they draft those sophomores at an appropriate higher or lower draft round based on what they did in their rookie year. So if you want to find any kind of edge, you're going to probably have to get quicker than just waiting for that final finish. Apologies if this recording is odd. By the way, I keep having to stop to go cough and be sick for a little while. Hopefully I don't sound it. I don't know. Um, Where was I? So how do we get quicker? Tentatively and cautiously, because we want to get quicker, but we're really on the fringe. For an example, when I posted about this uh, on a Dwayne McFarlane tweet, 
Um, and he's the guy, if you don't know, he's gone over to be like the head of content or something for the My Fantasy Life Matthew Berry app. And he used to write the utilization report for PFF. The man knows more data. He's forgotten more data than I'll ever know. And when I commented on it, he was like, that's interesting. What do you know? If he, he, it's too fringy for the most datary of data nerds to really have a strong opinion on. Put it that way. So you want to do it cautiously. You don't want to make strong bets off a thing this particular fake nerd said on one podcast. But I can give you food for thought. And so that's the way we're going to play it. In a player's first rookie season, of the players that we're going to end up wishing we had rostered from that rookie class, about 50% of those players are averaging over a 16% target share and 10 points per game by week three. That's consistent all the way to week five, actually. So we can push it out to week four or five, just because, again, there's no reason to be too strict on it. To compare it to this year's rookie class, both Chris Olave and Drake London were well over those marks, by week three, by week five, Garrett Wilson was starting to show up as well. So that tracks, right? Good priors are going to help us here because Sky Moore wasn't, but neither was David Bell. And I was still in on David Bell and definitely leading into my confirmation bias on Sky Moore. So good rookie processes and evaluations are really going to be the key here. Knowing that Terrence Marshall's early 20% target share through the first three weeks last year wasn't real or didn't fully mean he was going to be a, a great player, again, shows an exception to that rule. But at least 50% of the players we really liked by week four since 2009 had actually averaged over a 16% target share and 10 points per game. Why is that relevant? Because that's the average points per game of a rookie player that goes on to have two or more top 24 seasons, and the average target share of those players as well. So they're fairly good, lowish benchmarks for what a good rookie season looks like. It's not perfect, it's just an average um, of an average. So we're combining two fallacies here, but it gives you a good idea that if you're not seeing something you like from week five, it's worth starting to lean into your priors a bit more. Week three, if you want to be really aggressive, and I do. However, there's actually an interesting drop I really want to investigate more. Part of this is because I'm re I'm starting to add more IDs, not that you care, to my um, data because I want to add more stats to the rookie evaluation process, specifically adding in PFS stats like elusive rating and yards per route run and targets for my rookie data. And I need to link up several IDs systems that aren't linked up to my current IDs. Anyway, while doing that, um, I've actually imported a whole bunch of new weekly data going back. And so I can look at some interesting trends on this basis, uh, on this level. Anyway, but right now, just off the top, looking at it on a, a surface level, there's an interesting dip in rookie production between week six and week 10. I, again, I don't know the cause, but it seems that rookies who are going to be good start off really strong, or maybe they're different players, who knows, and then dip in the middle of the season and then pop off again towards the second half of the season. Interestingly enough, this combines to something uh, that we've talked about before, where rookies are the only consistent group of players to average a higher points per game in the second half or the fourth quarter of a rookie season. So we should expect be expecting more as a rookie season closes on average for rookies. Now, the interesting question I have made to dig down to are, are these the same rookies? The rookies pop off early, then dip, and then come back to producing? Or is this two separate groups of players, ones that do early well, well early, and ones that do well late, 
And is there a difference between them? Is there any kind of consistency between the players that are over that 50% before week five and then are over that 50% again by week 10? I don't know yet, honestly. There's a lot of data, okay? I'm starting. But let's stay peripheral. We'll dig down another time or I'll find a nerd that can do it uh, for me. Anyway, by week four or five, you can make firm decisions that lean on your priors, cautiously at least. If you want to know what week we really get the full picture by, trying to get an edge on our league mates, the earliest I can tell you is by week nine or ten. At that point, about 70% of players that we are going to wish we had rostered from a rookie class are over those two dead benchmarks, 10 points per game and 16% target share, and 65% of them are over that points per game threshold. 75%, about 70, let's start again. 70% are over the 16% target share threshold, and 65% are over that 10 points per game. Interestingly enough, it's worth paying more attention to their share of the offense than their overall scoring, because um, target share strongly takes over from this point on as well. So let's drop the points per game number and just look for wide receivers averaging 16% target share or greater by week 10. Now, again, there are players doing that who don't go on to be the players we want. We're getting noise in the data. But we do know that the majority of the players that we wish we had drafted since 2009 from different rookie classes are already averaging over 16% target share by week 9. And that might give you a few extra weeks. Because, again, just reference Dwayne McFarlane, he was saying it's time to give on give up on Sky Moore last week. And I feel like, again, especially if we were willing to consider good priors earlier, but even if you were just giving it by week 9 or 10, you would have got an edge of a really sharp dynasty players that know what they're talking about. And so far, it will have worked out. Same with Terrence Marshall, speaking of. So you can wait to week 9 or 10. And again, cautiously, there's no need to just throw away the potential of a rookie player because that's just on a week-by-week basis through the first season. Something you might have occurred to you while I stumbled through my words there was not all players play a full season, Pete. In fact, on average, the rookies we want average about play, playing about 10 games. So if we're talking about waiting to week 9 or 10, not all of them are even going to have played 9 or 10 games, especially when you consider bye weeks. So can we look at this on a per-game basis, or in terms of the number of games a rookie has played? Obviously, that's why I had this lean-in sentence. So let's look at it that way. Um, If we look on a game-by-game basis, from game one of a player's career to game 56, actually, you can go up to any number you want, do those numbers change? Yes, and they get a lot more pessimistic for how quickly we can act, obviously. By the fifth game of a player's career, the players we want were averaging over a 16% target share only 45% of the time. So the majority of the group by five games into their career were not averaging over 16% target share. In fact, we don't get over a half of the group that we're actually targeting until they had played 11 games. And as I just mentioned, some of those games might come into their second season because we're going game by game, not week by week in their rookie year some now. And that definitely doesn't give you an edge over the group. So we've lost our edge, although I think good priors can really help us hammer in into a season to make cautious, 
calculated bets. Now, the other half of that is the players like David Bell and Jalen Tolbert, who I'm really disappointed in. I'm not disappointing in them personally, but I really was hoping to see more from them this year. I mean, hope's not dead, right? Rookies develop at their own pace. We can start making excuses for the players we're going to waste bench spots on for the next three years. Awesome. That's nice to have that confirmed for me. Thank you. Um, But when do we know... Or when is it fully time to give up? I think there might be an edge there too, because way too many players are waiting to year three. To go back to our breakout thresholds, the third year breakout myth that used to be thrown around was wait till year three because we get a lot of third year breakouts. And in fact, we do get a lot of third year breakouts. It doesn't lag behind year two by that much, even though year two is the most common breakout year for a top 12 or a top 36 or a top 24 season, not to mention a top five season. But, as I mentioned, somewhere back in the distant past when I started this podcast, most players have crossed previous breakout thresholds before they get inside the top 24 or the top 12. It's not a stepladder. So if you're in year three and expecting your player to finally do something worth knowing about, you've waited too long. So can we get an edge on that third year players might break out myth? Actually, yes, we can, even on a game-by-game basis, which is more inherently more inclined to be more pessimistic about the percentage of players we want actually averaging over certain shares. And remember, this is the average of their week-to-week. So I'm not looking at their seasonal average here. If you just average up the individual target shares they got on a week-by-week basis, which again leans us towards pessimism. It should be overly pessimistic in terms of the number of players who have over a 16% target share. And again, target share is just beating points per game at this point. I did look across several other stats, by the way. I didn't just look at these points per game and target share number. I looked at receiving yards, expected points added, and racer and whopper and air yard share. Target share honestly just did a little better a little earlier in terms of the percentage of the group we're actually hunting, it turned out, being over the threshold earlier and so that's why i keep leaning on target share it's actually relatively significant in this regard anyway so how many games do you need to see from a player before you know the vast majority of players you're hunting would have already been doing better than this 19 games after a player has played 19 games 80 percent of the players who went on to have or maybe even currently had to be fair because we're 19 games in two top 24 seasons or more, and if you go and you filter for that list, it's not all Justin Jefferson's, but they're definitely the players you would want in Dynasty. There's very few, oh, arbitrary Cole Beasley's on that list when you filter by having at least two. It's actually a really good list. So 80% of those players already had over a 16% target share by the time they played 19 games. And remember, those 19 games may have spanned over three years. They may have spanned over two years. It depends how much injury and bye week and availability had played into their career. But that gives us a relatively early number where 80% of the players were hunting already over a very simple statistic of a 16% target share. Nothing fancy, nothing complicated, and it could definitely give us an edge over most players for on evaluating whether most players have had enough time to actually show something before we give up. And again, I think the same production rules are going to apply. If it's if they've played 17 games and they have never yet had over a 16% target share, 
it's not it, it's not looking good okay you don't average uh, a 16 percent target share because you do it once or twice that's the point of looking at the weekly average they actually have to have been relatively relevant for some games during that 19 game sample but it does give you a i think a fairly pessimistic and yet definite line if your player has played 19 games and isn't at least averaging over his entire career over 16 percent in target share the chances are only about 20 percent or only 20 percent of those players went on to have two top 24 seasons from that point on and again the fact that there are still percentages that deep in tells you again 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 that there is always hope and these are just averages of averages and by no means the golden key to unlock all rookie evaluation but it does give you points on the map of a player's career to tells you when you should start making decisions and where and believing what you have seen so far and i find that helpful and useful and hopefully you do too that's not where we have to end it i actually had a lot more i was going to break into values and then i realized I have just waffled on for way too long recording this um, and we can't do a, I don't think I have, uh, maybe I'll fit it in, uh, time for a value section. But what we can also do is look at rookies right now, how many games they've played and how many are already over 60% target share. And remember again, one of the things that average is telling you is players are going to wax and wane over and under, but I think it's an interesting way to look. So far, Drake London has played 13 games and is averaging over a 20%, 7% target share. So if you're concerned about his production recently, you should know that he compares to the majority group still. And that's, yeah, he, the, the early view of Drake London is probably the one to still keep in mind. If players in your league have suddenly stopped believing in him or are starting to be more concerned... I think that early signal is probably the best signal. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, well over that 16% target share, obviously. Traylon Burks, finally, uh, is averaging like 70% target share through his career so far. And he's only played eight games. So he's over that five-game threshold we were talking about early. And well below that 19-game threshold of when you should know. And I, I think he managed to pull it back over these last few weeks. He's still one of the top three rookie players from this draft class. There's still a lot of hope. Although it's pretty clear Alave and Wilson are again the ones that launch up draft boards quicker for very good reasons. There are some interesting players at 16% or below, however. You know the names because it's this rookie class. But next up is Romeo Dubs, George Pickens, Christian Watson, and Alec Pierce. The only two on that list, Romeo Dubs and George Pickens, are over that 16% number. So that's interesting because I wasn't overly interested in Romeo Dubs. Uh, you know, uh, frankly, I think him and Watson, I still have a lot of questions. Watson's scoring way too many touchdowns. His target share is below that 16% number. And Aaron Rodgers can make, uh, sorry, good quarterbacks do help wide receivers, but that also means we have to squint when some players are struggling to get over the average thresholds for good players. I mean... Devontae Adams took four years. Maybe that's what a really good wide receiver does with Aaron Rodgers. He just waits even longer. And so I'm willing to squint at those players more. Does that mean I, I'm telling you they're trade aways? They're not as good as their production recently? No. But it does mean I'm if I'm rostering them, I am still more skeptical skeptical because they're not comparing exactly well to the majority group at this point in their career, even though they've only played, uh, what is it? 
10 and 9 games this year. Romeo Dubs has played 9. Watson's played 10 so far, based on the current data that I have. So I'm more willing to try and use them to trade up into Wilson, London, um, or Alave. Now, of course, you probably can't, right? Because anyone rostering one of those three rookies, again, we know it when we see it, they already have them at a much higher value. That's probably not the best value move. David Bell, by the way, just to add to my pain, he's averaging a 7.9% target share through 12 games. <sighs> anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah, we can actually fit this. I can, I, I can segue really neatly into this. I was recently just updating my rookie ranks um, for Patreon. One of the things I do with for that is compare my ranks to ADP and then my ranks to consensus ranks because the consensus ranking group is, I hope, sharper than ADP. And so anyone I'm higher or lower than there is either a really good player to target so you're more likely to get a good value. If, if I'm higher even than really sharp players, presumably I feel really strongly about them, or I'm way too high and I should adjust my ranks, I guess. And the players that would fit that description, you can't probably can't get a trade done for Christian Watson and Garrett Wilson or um, Drake London or even Traylon Burks. It's probably not doable. The value is too high. The value difference is too real. But there are some really young players in interesting spots in the ADP that I am much higher than, or significantly, not much, but significantly higher on at the wide receiver position and compared to consensus rankers that I think would fit that description. What is the difference from George Pickens and Christian Watson to Brandon Ayuk? Or Ronda Moore? Or Rashad Bateman? Those are three players I and Consensus Rankers all have higher than ADP and are probably slightly easier trades at this point in their careers in most Dynasty Leagues. And I think those are the types of players I would be hunting with rookies that are borderline good based on that game-by-game research I was just talking about. Now, I'd love to sell you to trade back into David Bell, but I, I, I would, but I roster him everywhere. And I think unless you're getting falling third round value on David Bell, like that's the way to play rookies that I like right now. I want like a really good deal on them and probably putting them as part of another trade ultimately. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. I, I think those landmarks through a first career, then through a player's career. So by week four, five of an NFL rookie season, then by week nine of an NFL rookie season, and then considering 19 games into a rookie season, which should be early year two instead of late year two at least, um, are really interesting landmarks. And again, you can expect some level of buildup because we're looking at averages. It's not like they're going to do it over a two or three game span, especially once they get past their rookie season at least because Traylon Burks literally just increased his target share through a two or three game span. So I take that back. But this gives me landmarks to keep in mind on a game-by-game and week-by-week basis. And we don't need to be overly sharp to do it. Again, I don't think most players, because it's very unreasonable too, have very strong value swings on rookies early. And that brings me back to a common theme when I talk about how I play Dynasty, which is I find the best way to try and get better and improve my team more efficiently or at a higher rate in Dynasty is not to wait and see. It's to try and get faster 
and making better good decisions. It's not even making better decisions or knowing things other people don't. Just be more certain in things most people are going to think pretty soon. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, from my rookie evaluation, uh, evaluating my ranks versus consensus. Well, all of us have Rashad Bateman ranked around the wide receiver 22 in Dynasty positionally. I'm 20 spots higher than him in ADP. And it kills me that I still rank as relatively consistent, even though I'm taking 20 spots higher. And yes, I am the highest ranker on DLF Consensus Superflex ranks on Pat Faramuth. And really, when you think about it, that's all that matters. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, couldn't cut that one out. Uh, anyway, I got to get out of here. Sorry, this podcast is a little late. and We don't have a guest. Um, entirely my fault. Uh, but I'm mostly back healthy again, and we should get back on track next week. Thanks again for checking it out. Feel free to check out my YouTube channel if you haven't already. Um, really appreciate it, everything, and uh, I'll talk to you again next week with a get with a guest. I swear. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so... Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.